Uh, you remember COP26? We talked about that quite a bit. That was the big climate conference that took place in Glasgow. Might even still be taking place. I don't know how long it goes. Two weeks, three weeks. Uh, anyway, um, at that conference, our next guest uh, showed up um, and, uh, well, got into it with our new federal environment minister. So let's find out exactly what happened. We're going to chat with uh, Chris Kiefer, Dr. Chris Kiefer, who is a Toronto emergency room physician and the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy. Doctor, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Shay. I appreciate it as well. So you attended COP26, and it's fair to say you are you are an environmentalist, right? I mean, this is something that's you're very passionate about. You don't always agree with the way... A lot of people do agree with you, by the way, but you have uh, you know different opinions on how we get there, but you are concerned about the environment and climate change, correct? Yes, I care deeply about uh, people, a clean environment, and uh, yeah, I think climate change is a, is a big issue. Okay, so you attended COP26. Now, was your sole intention of going over there confronting uh, Gibo? Was that the plan? Or was there other things involved? No, no, absolutely not. No, I was a part of a, a larger pro-nuclear uh, delegation that was there to really put nuclear energy on the map. It's something that's been ignored by the environmental community, despite being the technology that can both guarantee prosperity as well as deep decarbonization. And we've seen that around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the nine major large economies that have achieved deep decarbonization have either been blessed with hydro, like uh, BC and uh, Manitoba and Quebec, or they've used a combination of nuclear and hydro. And that's what we've done here in Ontario. So it's just something that's neglected. It's a taboo subject. Um, and we felt like we needed to bring it up. And I felt like I needed to bring it up with uh, Minister Gilbo. So you, you confronted him. If, if people haven't seen the video, it's available on YouTube. But if you want to, here's part of it. Here's part of what happened. Just uh, This is just a segment of the uh, the situation as um, Dr. Chris Kiefer confronts Gibo, our new federal environment minister. Is that something, again, that you, you oppose based on your previous uh, commitments as an environmentalist, or has that changed for you? My, I, I'm, I'm supportive of what my government is trying to do, which right. is to, to find the best technologies. But, right. but again, you know, we, we, the government does, does provide support, but right. it's really the market that decides but which technologies yeah. are going to, to perform in, in, yeah. in tomorrow's world. And it's not, it's not, it's not right. me in Ottawa or someone else that's going to say this technology right. will go ahead, that technology won't. But, but again, you've had a strong position in the past, so I'm just asking, has that changed based upon the scientific consensus of the IPCC that all four decarbonization pathways call for an increase in nuclear energy? I think I've answered your question. Okay. Thank you. I don't, I don't think you have, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, nice work, Dr. Kiefer. Um, obviously not impressed with his response. Was it what you expected? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when asked about nuclear energy before, he's uh, simply said that, you know, wind and solar are cheap, nuclear is not, the market will decide. Uh, that's a pretty gross representation of the facts. Um, we know that wind and solar energy um, do not provide the stable baseload power that we need to run modern civilization. And even more than that, on the environment and climate uh, front, um, they do not achieve deep decarbonization. After Glasgow actually was in Germany briefly, um, this is the land where they've spent $500 billion on wind and solar. Um, while I was there, it was cloudy. There wasn't much wind. They were burning coal, gas, and biomass and it was a filthy grid. Um, And it it just goes to show that those technologies um, don't work. And you know what's surprising is Germany, with those investments in cheap wind and solar, actually has amongst the most expensive electricity in the EU. So uh, there's a a big lack of understanding that Mr. Jilbo has, and I find that with a lot of uh, environment and climate activists, um, they have very little understanding of energy, and the two are deeply entwined if we're talking about an energy transition towards lower carbon uh, energy. And, and, Doctor, I think you make such an excellent point because, I mean, 
there there seems to be two levels of discussion here. There's the all there's the discussion that is all very altruistic and you know it, it's wonderful. We're going to get rid of all the carbon and we're going to do this and we're going to move to wind and solar and everything's going to be great. And then there's the other level of discussion, which is the real world that says, yeah, that's not going to work. At least not yet. There's some major problems with that. Um, and then there are people who say, well, why aren't we looking more at nuclear? And there are people. There are a lot of people that I hear from every day saying, why isn't this part of this discussion? It has to be right. Absolutely. You know, and the irony is that Mr. Gilbo was at a, a pavilion presentation sponsored by Labour um, called Powering Through the Coal Phase-Out Towards a Just Transition. This is a man who has taken every opportunity in his activism career to oppose nuclear energy, including the ongoing operation of the Pickering Nuclear Power Plant here in Ontario. We did a coal phase-out here in Ontario. Nuclear energy provided 90% of the energy to knock coal off the grid, mm-hmm. and it provided a just transition for those coal workers into high-quality, high-paying trade, uh, trades jobs, skilled trades jobs, and STEM jobs. Um, so not only did it deliver that um, coal phase note, it was the greatest greenhouse gas reductions measure in uh, North American history, but it also delivered a just transition. And Ontario has some hydro, but it's certainly not like B.C. and Quebec. And so we really are a model for other provinces, such as Alberta, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, to achieve deep decarbonization with prosperity. This can be a win-win situation, but the environmentalists, um, at least the mainstream environmentalists, tend not to see it that way. They want us to go back to a, a Stone Age Garden of Eden, right. uh, which I think we all know is not sensible. It's just not realistic, exactly. Where are we in terms of bringing nuclear into the discussion in Canada? I know there's been some discussion in Alberta about um, small reactors. Is it something mm-hmm. that is starting to gain some footholds? It is, but it's got very tepid support from the federal government. When uh, Trudeau was asked about it, he says, uh, we'll do wind for sure, we love solar, um, but maybe kind of, sort of, we should not uh, rule it out and keep options on the table um, and that's how he refers to nuclear. And that's ridiculous. I mean, he should have been bragging at COP about what we've achieved in Ontario. We have a world-class decarbonized grid here because of our can-do technology. Made in Canada, designed in Canada, with a 96% Canadian supply chain. So when you put up that, that solar panel or that wind turbine, that solar panel's, you know, 60% of the world's polysilicons made likely with some degree of slave labor in China with cheap, cheap coal, right? Mm-hmm. Or that wind turbine, the technology is all from, uh, from Germany or Denmark. Um, the jobs are in- as intermittent as the energy. Every 20 years, you slap up some new solar panels. Sure. Uh, nuclear energy, again, made in Canada. Every dollar spent, 96% of that stays in Canada. High quality jobs. Um, again, this is this is such a clear win-win. The government needs to come out and support, and not just the SMRs. We should be building more CANDU. It is a modern reactor that is very safe and has amazing spin-offs like producing medical isotopes and other features. Is that the concern, safety and waste? Are those the two things that get brought up most as reasons we shouldn't be going down this road? I mean, I'll tell you that um, humans are brilliant. We're great engineers. Um, all the civilian nuclear waste that Canada has produced would fit in one hockey rink, stacked one telephone pole high. It's incredibly energy-dense, three million times more than coal. So there's not a lot of the waste. It's been safely contained. If you want to talk about storage, um, we have well-worked-out storage solutions for nuclear waste. We do not have any storage solutions worked out for grid-scale energy from wind and solar technology. So the people that say we don't have a solution should really be focusing on the fact that so-called green energy, wind and solar, have a storage problem. Nuclear waste does not. We've contained it safely, and we have permanent solutions for it at our fingertips. The environmentalists don't want us to have one. Um, hey, I'm getting text docs, and, and, and you know what they are. Um, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima. That's not mm-hmm. the same kind of reactor that we're talking about here, right? 
No, I mean, so you got to understand. So Fukushima, that was three reactors that melted down. Um, people conflate the deaths from the tsunami, which was close to 30,000, with deaths from Fukushima. And this has been extensively studied by the UN Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation. There were zero deaths as a result of radiation in Fukushima. Was this a major industrial accident? Absolutely. Was this a tragedy in terms of human lives affected by radiation? No. Um, Three Mile Island as well, right? Zero deaths. The uh, maximum dose that civilian people got around the plant was something like the equivalent of one chest X-ray. Hmm. Chernobyl, another story, yes. An old reactor type <clears throat> and basically being run by the crew from the movie Jackass. Right, exactly. I mean, they did, they did ridiculous things. We've learned so much. It's kind of like aviation, right? Um, would you not fly because of the Hindenburg incident? You know, we've had aviation accidents, and we've learned an incredible amount, um, as we have with nuclear. There's been unfortunate accidents, but these are not at the level of catastrophes. You want to talk about an industrial catastrophe, go to Bhopal, India, right, where yeah. Union Carbide yeah. gassed a lot of people. You know, even Chernobyl was nothing like that. I'm not trying to minimize that. That is a problem the industry has had to wrestle with, but they've done a very good job, and the safety culture is, is second to none. And in Canada, um, not a single uh, death has happened as a result of nuclear energy. And unfortunately, in my province of Ontario, over 1,000 people a year used to die from coal pollution, which is no longer the case because of nuclear energy. Um, so, you know, people might think it's strange that an emergency doctor feels so passionate about that. I mean, I used to deal with... Lots of asthma, much worse COPD exacerbations, all the other effects of air pollution, I don't anymore. My province is a leader on deep decarbonization. I am alarmed by climate change. I care very deeply about it. Um, and I found a solution which I think is, is not being talked about. I think it's kind of bizarre that I'm doing this advocacy, and I shouldn't have to because really it should be such a common sense solution. But unfortunately, we have you know, 30, 40 years of, uh, of prejudice to work against. Yeah. And I mean, I, I call Mr. Gilbeau, um his beliefs fossilized. Um, and it's time, it's time for those to change. And if they don't, then, you know, this government in this country is going to be held back. Alberta in particular has a lot to gain from uh, can-do nuclear energy, for instance. You guys have tons of tra skilled tradespeople, pipe fitters, boilermakers, welders, machinists, millwrights, the whole bit. Um, they could get great jobs in this sector. I was just up visiting the largest operating nuclear plant in the world, which is Bruce Power. Um, incredibly vibrant, flourishing community, intergenerational jobs. You know, three generations of people have worked at that plant. Canada's largest infrastructure project. Um, you know, it's a real magnet of economic prosperity, and we can do this. Um, and unfortunately, that's not the case with uh, the solutions that we're looking at right now in terms of wind and solar, intermittent jobs, um, the foreign supply chain. We can do better than that. Yeah, and I think you know we're hearing more and more about this, and it's through work of uh, people like yourself. And uh, we'll see. I think you know maybe ultimately the minister is right that the market will dictate this, doctor. Maybe um, you know if the government gets out of the way. Well, I mean, the government brought, bought the Trans Mountain Pipeline. The government has given out uh, enormous subsidies to the wind and solar sector. And, I mean, the government has um, given out through their Strategic Innovation Fund money towards nuclear companies. So Mr. Gilbo is absolutely dodging the bullet on that. Mm. Um, the former Natural Resource Minister, Seamus O'Regan, was very bullish on nuclear energy. Unfortunately, uh, his replacement, the previous Environment Minister, uh, Mr. Wilkinson, seems to be not quite in the camp of Gilbo. But again, uh, sort of uh, very passive about this, right. this technology, which again has a proven track record of deep decarbonization and prosperity. Uh, doctor, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You bet. That's Dr. Chris Kiefer, who is a Toronto emergency room physician and the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy.